This is Church Alive's teaching of the week. For additional teachings or information about the church, go to churchalive.net. Can y'all stand and just honor Pastor Keith Hodges from Liberty Church as he comes up to speak today? Amen. Well, why don't you give Jesus a great big round of applause this morning? He really is the reason that any of us are here today, and without Him, none of this exists. Amen? Uh, I'm going to get all my little stuff here ready so I can uh, be faithful and honor what God is doing in the house today. But let me just say what a joy and what an honor it is to be here um, at Church Alive. And uh, I just want to reiterate to Pastor Gene and Regina, they're an amazing couple. How many thankful for your pastors? Come on, let's... Let's honor them this morning, and uh, they genuinely love you guys. They are, they are all in, amen, and they are committed to seeing God do what God is doing here in McGee, Mississippi, and what an awesome opportunity it is to be here, and uh, as he makes those phone calls, I, I told him, I tell him all the time that as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend, and I always walk away from those conversations and our time together better than I was when I got here, and uh, so I'm, I'm taking home in John Wesley just talking this morning on the way over here. We're going to be taking home some great things. So we're stealing all your good ideas and all the really cool stuff you guys are doing. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking we could just play that video again about uh, my king, and uh, we could probably just say amen and go home. Amen? Uh, I'm glad he's my king. How about you? I'm glad King Jesus reigns and he rules. And uh, you guys, let me just encourage you, for all of you that I did get a chance to hang out with this weekend, what a joy, what an honor. Uh, we have been fed like kings, and uh, we have eaten. A lot more than we should have ate while we were here this weekend, but I mean, it was just so good. So uh, Southern hospitality is amazing, amen? Uh, but we do love you guys, and uh, we're so thankful just to be able to be a part of what God is doing at Church Alive, and uh, hopefully just to, uh, as I said this weekend, just kind of push the ball down the field a little bit, add some value into your life. And uh, how many of you were here last Sunday and heard last Sunday's message? Raise your hand. Let me hear from you out there. Come on. And uh, Pastor Gene, he knocked it out of the ballpark. Can anybody get an amen to that? And uh, just a powerful, powerful word. He, he shared with me, he said, I really don't have any points. I'm going to read a lot of scripture and just let the Holy Spirit speak. And I was listening to the message uh, this past Monday, and I was just blown away uh, by the word of the Lord. And such a clarity of message, the significance of focus. And how important focus really is in our lives, specifically as believers in Jesus Christ. And if you remember last week, Pastor Gene really challenged us and reminded us as we begin to think back. He talked about several of the kings, and, and I want to kind of focus on two of them. He talked about King David, and he talked about how King David and King Solomon lost focus. And how that there was some strategic moments in their lives where somehow the main thing was no longer the main thing. And somehow God's priorities were no longer their priorities. And how many of you understand that when that happens in our lives, things get crazy really quick? I mean, it's amazing how quickly things can spin out of control. It's amazing how we can be moving in the right direction and all of a sudden we lose focus for just a moment. We lose focus in a specific maybe area of our life and before you know it, man, we're spinning out of control and not just one area of our life, but now every 
area of our life is being impacted by a simple fact that we just lost focus. Somehow we took our eye off the prize. Somehow we allowed the chatter of the world. How many know there's a lot of chatter in the world today? And the world is screaming and the world wants to fill your, your eyes and your ears and your heart with the chatter of this world. And if we're not careful, we'll allow the chatter of the world to begin to drown out the very voice of God and we'll lose focus. And before you know it, we'll just make a little, a little change in our, direct, our direction. We'll make a little change in the path that we're on. And if you're not careful, that little alteration in the trajectory of your life will end you up in a place you didn't want to be. It'll end you up experiencing things you didn't want to experience. The old preachers a long time ago, uh, Brother Elder Finch, you'll appreciate this, the old, old preachers used to say, they used to say sin will take you further than you want to go, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And that's what sin does every time. It always takes us places it cost us things, and we experience things that we never intended to experience. And so I, I want to just revisit a couple of those scriptures. First Kings uh, chapter 15, the Bible says this. It says, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except, y'all say that word with me, except, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now, you know what I thought was interesting when you were reading that scripture last week and I was listening to the message? What I thought was interesting is the Bible did not say that David was faithful in everything except in the area of Bathsheba. He was faithful in everything except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. See, because David's compromise in the area of sexual immorality was actually not just a sin with Bathsheba, it was a sin against the covenant that she had with her husband, Uriah. But let me just give you a thought here today. God still values marriage. God still values marriage between one man and one woman. Can I get an amen from somebody? And the realization is we've been talking at our church just about relationships, some during this month of February. And the Lord just really reiterated something in my heart. He said, Keith, the church's job is to bring clarity to the culture. That's one of our jobs, to bring clarity to the culture because we live in a world that is very confused. There's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of distraction. There's a lot of distorted focus in so many areas of our life. And our job as Christians... Not just Pastor Gene's job, not just my job, but our job as the church. Come on, somebody. Our job is to bring clarity into a culture that is confused and that is deceived and that is on a path that's going to ultimately produce death and not life. And the most loving thing you can do is speak truth in the midst of darkness. The most, the most cruel thing you can do is shut your mouth you want to talk about cruel? You want to talk about being uncaring and uncompassionate? Then see somebody on a path to destruction and say nothing to warn them that the road they're on is leading to a place called hell. That is the most unloving, uncaring, uncompassionate, unchristlike thing you can do. 
The world says the church is intolerant, but the church is very tolerant. We're very compassionate. We're full of grace and mercy. And we should love people enough to speak the truth. Not condemning sinners, but calling sinners out of sin. Come on, somebody. Calling sinners out of a path of bondage and deception and destruction that is leading them not only away from God, but to a place called hell. I mean, I don't know about McGee, Mississippi, Arab, Alabama. We still believe in hell. We still believe the Bible's the Bible. We still believe there's a real place where people spend eternity separated from God in a place of eternal torment and eternal damnation. Don't sound like a fun place to me. And if I am filled with any amount of the love of God, then the love of Christ compels me that if I see somebody in a burning house, in a burning building, I should stop and do something to help. I shouldn't just drive by and say, well, it's not really my house and it's not really my concern. And I don't really know if they want me to help them anyway. So just let it burn. You drive by somebody's house that's on fire and you just say, let it burn. I'm going to check your heart because something's wrong with you. Just let it burn. Oh, the baby's in their house. Well, just let it burn. Well, the kids are in the house. Well, just let it burn. Well, mom and dad's in the house. Just let it burn. Well, grandma and grandpa's in the house. Well, just let it burn. You know, it's their house anyway. It's their house. And the most uncaring, uncompassionate, unkind thing you could do would be drive by a burning house and just say, let it burn. And the most uncaring and uncompassionate thing you can do as a believer in Jesus Christ is to rub shoulders with people that are on a road and a path to hell. Their life is on fire and it is burning. And for you to say nothing. Not condemn them, not judge them, not accuse them. Love them enough to speak truth into their life. Come alongside them with the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ and say, hey, let me show you. There's a better way. There's a fire extinguisher. (laughs) But more than a fire extinguisher, there's a life changer, there's a redeemer, there's a healer, there's a God, there's a king that can not only set the fire of hell out of your life, but he can set your feet on a path that leads to life, that brings redemption, that restores your marriage, that restores your life, that restores soundness and clarity to your mind so that you can actually be the person you were created to be instead of living under the oppression of the enemy and allowing the world to define who you are and what you should look like. And so God is calling us to be so focused and so attuned to what He is saying and to what He is doing that we are able to bring clarity to the culture that's in confusion. Let me tell you the challenge. The challenge is if you're as confused as the world is, if you're as distracted as the world is, if you're as unfocused as the world is, you're going to have a hard time bringing clarity to confusion. If you don't know the truth and you aren't walking in it, it's going to be hard to help somebody else find truth and walk in truth. And so God is calling us to a focused life. And and I, I just want to say this today. None of this was in my notes, but I really believe the Lord is just saying today very clearly that the focused life is not just for us to have a good life. The focused life is so we can live a kingdom life that reaches a world that's dying and going to hell. A world that literally is spinning out of control and confusion and chaos. A world that doesn't know if I'm a boy or a girl anymore. I mean, that's how confused we are. 
That's how distracted we are. That's how unfocused we are. That's how far removed we are from truth. That intelligent individuals with college degrees are confused about their little boy being a little boy or their little girl being a little girl because they just don't know anymore. Intelligent individuals graduating from colleges, growing up through our high schools, are wondering, am I a homosexual or a heterosexual? Am I attracted to the same sex or am I attracted to opposite sex? Man, we, we have a confused world. And I believe the focused vision of the local church, the focused heart of God's people on the truth of God and the things of God is so critical because, again, we are on a rescue mission. I heard a gentleman make this statement. I thought it was one of my favorite. I held on to it. I said, I'm going to use that as often as I can. He said, I believe a Christian's job is to stand at the gate of hell, gates of hell and redirect traffic. I don't know where Oscar is in here this morning, but I heard Oscar's working with the uh, parking crew out there, and they said they're going to get him one of them little lightsabers, you know. <laughs> I told Oscar, I won't be on your team. I want one of those. I've been trying to get one for years. Nobody will give me one. <laughs> hey, your job, my job is to stand at the gates of hell with our little lightsaber, the light of Jesus Christ, and let's just turn people around. Hey, you're going in the wrong direction. Let's redirect traffic. Let's redirect traffic. Let's redirect traffic. Let's be so focused and so clear and so sure in our hearts of what we know and believe to be true based on the Word of God that we can redirect traffic and help people find the hope and the joy and the life and the peace that comes from and through Jesus Christ because He is the way maker. Amen? 1 Kings chapter 3. It said, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. 1 Kings 11 verse 4 says, For it was so that when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. 1 Kings 11, 9 and 10 says, The Lord became angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And Pastor Gene talked about that. Two visitations from the Lord. Two encounters with God. God in his mercy, hear me today. God in his mercy, God in his grace is trying to do everything to turn us around. Come on, somebody. He wants our hearts to be turned to the Lord, not because he's a stingy, selfish God, but because he's a holy, righteous God that desires that all men be saved, that desire that our families be restored, our marriages be restored, our hearts be restored, and our lives be lived for his purpose, for his glory, in a way that changes things. And so God, in his mercy, appeared to him. The Bible says twice, verse 10, he said, and he had commanded him concerning this thing, the thing that he was dealing with. Let me tell you how good God is. God will, God will talk about your thing. So you'll come to church and you'll listen to Pastor Gene and Pastor Gene will be talking about a specific thing and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will take that thing that he's talking about and he'll take it and he'll turn it into your thing. I love it when I walk out of church, Pastor Gene, I'm talking to people and they're like, man, I can't believe when you said that and you said this and you said that. And I thought to myself, I never said any of that. You know why? Because God was talking to them. And God was speaking to that thing. Let me tell you how much God loves you. God loves you so much 
That He'll speak to that thing in your life. That thing that's distracting you. That thing that has caused your focus just to shift just enough that you've changed the trajectory of your life. God, God will speak to you about that thing. And I believe even now, right now in this church, right now God is speaking to that thing. Some of you right now already know there's a thing that's distracting you. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's pressure. Maybe it's struggles. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe maybe it's a family issue. I don't know what your thing is. Maybe it's a secret sin. Maybe it's pornography. I, I don't know what you're dealing with. But I know this about God. He loves you so much that he will address that thing in your life. And he sent me all the way from Arab, Alabama just to tell you that thing in your life that's distracting you from him is going to bring more pain and more sorrow and more heartache heartache than you can even begin to imagine. I promise you, Pastor Gene and Regina have, have dealt with many, many people who made a little decision and changed the focus of their life just a little bit. And before they knew it, a year later, there wasn't a marriage there. Six months later, their children weren't there. Financially, they were facing things they never imagined they would have to face. And, and all of a sudden, it was just one little decision. It was just one little adjustment. It was just one distraction that set their attention in a way that never was intended to be set. And that thing in their life became the thing. Here's what's crazy. The thing we thought we wanted to be happy becomes the thing the devil uses to destroy our lives. The thing we thought we wanted and needed to be happy becomes the thing that the devil uses in our lives to destroy our lives. And God in his mercy spoke to Solomon. He said, I commanded him concerning this thing in his life that he should not go after other gods, but he should keep what the Lord had commanded him. As I was listening, Pastor Gene made reference to this last week. If, if David, think about this, if David, who was a man after God's own heart, if Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever walk the planet apart from Jesus, if those two men could somehow lose focus to the point that David committed adultery and murder, to the point that Solomon begin to move into idolatry and begin to worship and serve other gods. If a man after God's own heart and the smartest man to ever walk the planet apart from Jesus could be distracted by this world, how much more should we be on guard? How much more should we guard our hearts? How much more should we be aware of what is happening around us? How much more should we be intentional about guarding our hearts against the distractions of the enemy and the world that want to just turn our heart, distract our focus, and change the trajectory of our life? I heard a quote years ago, a gentleman made this statement. He says, all sin, he said, this is his opinion. He said, I believe all sin is rooted in broken or distracted focus. All sin is rooted in broken or distracted focus. And when you read the Bible and when you look at your life and I look at my life, I can almost say yes and amen to that. Every time I've got off the path, my focus was distracted. My 
focus was broken. I stopped looking at the thing I was supposed to look at and I started looking at something else. I stopped chasing the thing I was supposed to chase and I started chasing something else. I stopped giving my heart to something and I started giving my heart and my affections to something else. The scripture says, set your affections on things above. That word affections, that's a, that's a powerful word. It's a powerful word because what you set your affections on determines what you see. See, what you focus on in your heart becomes what you'll focus on with your eyes. See, before you ever see it with your eyes, you've done set your heart upon it. And the moment you set your heart on something, all of a sudden your eyes will begin to see what your heart has set its affection on. And let me just prove it to you. You ever bought a new car and thought you were the only person with that car that color? I've not seen any of these around. I'm going to get that one because nobody else has one just like it. You drive it off the lot before you get home, you see three. Because the moment it took precedence in your affections, now it became visible with your eyes. That's why the Bible says guard your heart. For out of the issues of your heart comes the quality of your life. Guard your heart because if you set your affections, your heart on things, all of a sudden your eyes will begin to see things you didn't see before. Your eyes will begin to be attracted to things you weren't attracted to before. Your eyes will begin to go places they never went before. Every man that's ever battled pornography can say yes and amen to those truths. The moment you shift your heart, something catches your eyes. Every affair, every adulterous act, somebody shifted their heart. Somebody set the affections of their heart. All of a sudden it shifted just enough that now my eyes begin to see things. My eyes begin to catch things. My eyes begin to behold things that I never even knew was there until my heart shifted. Set your affections on things above. So I want to give us real quick just three ways I think we can keep our focus. Three ways we can focus our attention on the things that matter most. The first one is simply this. I think we stay focused through consistent prayer. We stay focused through consistent prayer. See, consistent prayer. Prayer brings clarity to the confusion of our lives. When I pray, you know what prayer does? Prayer connects me to God. Prayer focuses me on God. Prayer acknowledges, number one, there is a God. Prayer brings me into a place of humility that I begin to acknowledge my desperation and my need for God, right? This is not rocket science, guys. This is not something we've never heard before. But how many of you understand that when you move away from the fundamentals of the faith, you begin to build your life on shifting sands? Let me just tell you, in your life today, in my life today, there is no substitute for consistent prayer. When the Bible says pray without ceasing, I, I believe prayer is a part of our DNA. It's our divine DNA. We were created for communion with God. 
We were created for communion with God. We were created to talk to Him, to, to not only cry out to Him, but to hear the voice of heaven. We were created. And all of a sudden through prayer, prayer brings a focus in my life. Prayer brings clarity to the confusion of my life. I was thinking about King David. And I was thinking about when David saw Bathsheba. And then he sent for her. And then he slept with her. And then he gets word that she's pregnant. How many know bad became worse? Bad became worse. He allowed his focus to shift. He allowed something to catch his eye that should not have caught his eye, I believe, because he had already turned his heart before he walked up on the roof of his house. There was something turning in the heart of David that caused him to see her in a way he'd never seen her before. And he sent for her and he slept with her and she got pregnant. And here, here's, here's what I, I feel like the Holy Spirit said. He said, Keith, think about David in that moment. We've all been there, done that, right? Maybe not an affair, maybe not an unexpected, unwanted pregnancy, but we've all made decisions <laughs> that produce negative outcome, and we knew it. <laughs> and we're like, oh my gosh, I just screwed up. I just missed it. I just blew it. I just, oh God, I just missed the mark. This is bad. And in that moment when David realized that what he had done was wrong and not only was it wrong and not only was it sin, but now there was a baby. Now Bathsheba was pregnant from their adulterous affair. And in that moment, hear me today, I believe if David would have prayed instead of panicked, If he would have prayed instead of panic. You know what we do, guys? When we make a bad decision, and by the way, we all do. I wish I could say, hey, hey Pastor Keith, don't do that. No, I'm sorry, I do. <laughs> I make bad decisions. Not intentionally, not purposely, but hey, I get distracted. And sometimes I say things and sometimes I do things and the moment it comes out of my mouth, before I even see my wife's face, I know I said the wrong thing. Right? When we mess up, when we screw up, when we miss the mark, which is sin, by the way, when we come short of the glory of God, if we will pray instead of panic, God can redeem a moment. But when we panic instead of pray, you know what happens? We start trying to cover our sin. And that's what David did. David said, oh, I'm going to go get Uriah. I'll bring him home. He can spend the night with his wife. We'll kind of track the calendar. Everybody will think it's his baby, not mine. He panicked instead of praying. He panicked instead of sought God. He panicked instead of repenting of his sins. I, I love what the scripture says. 1 John 1, 9, you guys know this verse. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But Proverbs, look what Proverbs says. Proverbs 28 says this. It says, but he who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. 
If you cover your sin, guess what? You won't prosper. Not only will your sin not go away, it will become worse. And that's what David did. David tried to cover his sin. But he didn't realize that Uriah was more righteous than him. <laughs> Uriah didn't even go in his own house. He slept outside on the porch so everybody could see him. And he said, how can I go in and be with my wife when the troops of Israel are on the battlefield? At a time when the kings were supposed to go to battle. And then because he didn't pray and repent and confess his sin, he tried to cover it. It created more sin. And David was righteous under the Lord except in the matter of Uriah. I want to just encourage us guys, consistent prayer. Praying when everything's going good and praying when we mess up really bad. God is not desiring to condemn us. He is desiring to redeem us. And there are consequences and there are repercussions to our sins. We understand that. But there is forgiveness and there is grace to begin again. Amen? You can begin again. I don't know what this story would have looked like if David would have repented in that moment. But I believe that little phrase that we read earlier, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite, may not even been in the Bible. <laughs> Let's talk about another way. How do we stay focused? We stay focused through prayer. Second one's a no-brainer. We stay focused through daily study of God's Word. Not rocket science here today, guys. I'm telling you something you already know, but I hope you hear it like you've never heard it before. It is through daily study of God's Word. God's Word brings light into darkness and enables us to discern the path that we are supposed to take. Psalms 119.105 says, Your Word is a lamp that guides my feet and a light to my path. Man, we need daily study of the Word. You need to be in the Bible every single day. Every day you need to be reading the Scriptures. Every day you need to be opening the Bible. And through modern day technology, our little version Bible app, it has never been easier than before. You don't go anywhere without your cell phone, so guess what? You don't go anywhere without your Bible. You've got an opportunity every day to open the Word of God. For many, many years, I've been reading through the entire Bible every year. I just read through the Scriptures. I've got a systematic plan. I just read through the Scriptures every year. I've heard many people, many pastors, leave said they read through it three times. Some of them read through it five times. I heard a guy recently said he reads it through the entire Bible eight times every year. And I, my mind was like, ooh, kind of blew my mind. But you know what I know? I know to be true. I know that if you're going to stay focused on the things of God and the things that matter, and if you're going to bring clarity to a culture that's in confusion, you've got to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. You've got to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. I recently sat in on an interview. A young man was being interviewed for a pastoral position, and he was asked the question, how would you describe your daily devotional life with the Lord? And he said, well, you know, uh, probably not real good. I try to read my Bible as often as I can when I get a chance to. And my thought was, and you're going to be a pastor? 
You're going to teach the Bible for a living? And you don't have a daily discipline of reading God's Word? Well, let me just tell you something. That's not just for pastors and preachers and teachers and leaders. That's for every born-again believer. His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And if you're not walking daily in the Word, you're probably walking in the dark. And it gets cloudy quickly. I mean, doesn't it get cloudy quickly? I'm just going to tell you, I'm a student of the Word of God, and sometimes people come to me with decisions and choices, and I'm like, whoo, this is not easy. <laughs> I've had to walk through some decisions and choices, and I'm like, man, this is this not really clear. But I can tell you, as long as we are consistently in the Word of God, God's Word brings light to the darkness. God's Word gives us, God's Word gives us discernment to choose the path and the direction that we are supposed to take. Yes. Hebrews 4, you guys know this scripture. Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him of whom we must give an account. How I many know God sees everything and all things? And God's word is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It is a discerner, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts of men. I found out the greatest struggle in discerning the will of God is not what's happening out there. It's what's happening in here. Because sometimes my want to gets in the way. I want to do something really, really bad. And sometimes if I'm not careful, I'll convince myself that what I really want is what God wants when it really ain't what God wants. I want you to look with me in Deuteronomy. I want you to see something. Deuteronomy 17. Maybe something you've never seen in Scripture. Deuteronomy 17. Because I want you to think about, as we read Deuteronomy 17, I want you to think about Solomon. I want to think about Solomon who turned his heart away from God. I want to think about Solomon whom the Bible says, when you read about Solomon, the Bible says he had multitudes of horses and he went to Egypt and he brought horses from Egypt. The Bible says that Solomon made silver and gold as plenty, as, as plenty and plentiful as bronze. The Bible says of Solomon he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Lord help him, Jesus. Right? 700 wives, 300 concubines. He had horses from Egypt. He made silver and gold as plentiful as it could be as, as, as bronze and, and, and dust on the ground. And he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Remember those three things. Now listen to what Deuteronomy 17 says. God is speaking to the children of Israel. This is what he says. You are about to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. And when you take it over and settle there, you may think that we should select a king to rule over us like the other nations around us. He says, if this happens, if this happens, be sure, look what he says, be sure to select a king, uh, select this king, the man the Lord your God chooses. You must appoint a fellow Israelite. He may not be a foreigner. Look at verse 16. And the king must not build up large stables of horses for himself or send people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. And the king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord and he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. Now this is God's command for the kings. 
that were not even yet. They haven't even had a king. And God says, when you get a king, because you're going to be stupid one day. I'm sorry I said that in church. You're going to lose your mind one day. And you're going to make, you're going to be distracted. You're going to lose focus. And you're going to, anyway. So, but, but look, that, that, listen, look at the very next few verses. This is really important. Verse 18. He says, and so when he, the king, sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself this body of instructions. He's supposed to write down these three commandments for a king. Three commandments for the king. He's supposed to copy, look what it says, he's supposed to copy for himself this body of instruction in a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. Look at verse 19. He must always keep that copy with him and read it when? Daily. Daily. And read it daily as long as he lives and that way he will learn to fear the Lord by, by Lord his God by obeying the terms of all these instructions and decrees. Look at verse 20. And this regular, what? Reading of the command of God. The regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting like he is above his fellow citizens. It will prevent him from turning away from these commandments in the smallest way. And it will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. God gave the king three rules. Solomon broke all three of them. And the reason Solomon broke all three of them is he wasn't reading his Bible every day. He was supposed to write down these three commandments that were specific for the king and he was supposed to read them every day. This daily reading, this daily reading, this daily reading, this daily reading. Let me tell you something. Reading the Bible at church on Sunday while the preacher's preaching is not enough for you. Because every day you are being bombarded by the lies and schemes of the enemy. And the devil wants to deceive you and distort you and distract you from truth so that you make simple, slight trajectory changes in your life that get you off the path that God intended you to walk in. Last one, here it is. We stay focused through submission to spiritual authority. Submission to spiritual authority gives us a 30,000 foot view of our lives. It allows us to see this amazing perception, perception of our lives. It allows us to get a view of life that we could never have on our own. Through spiritual authority, guess what happens? We can see further and clearer than we could ever see by ourselves. We can see further and clearer than we could ever see by ourselves. 2 Samuel, chapter 12. We remember David. We remember Solomon. Let's go back and talk about David again. Because there came a turning point in David's life. And this is why, 2 Samuel 12, why I believe the New Testament still refers to David after a man after God's own heart. I believe if 2 Samuel 12 hadn't have happened and if David hadn't have responded the way that he responded, I don't think the New Testament would have called David a man after God's own heart. They'd have said, hey, he was a good king. Hey, he was a great king. Hey, he, he built our military. He strengthened our cities. He established our economy. But I don't think they would have used the phrase, he was a man after God's own heart. But 2 Samuel 12 gives us an encounter that David had with spiritual authority. I said this this week and I'm going to say it again. If the only voice in your life is your voice, you are in trouble. 
If the only voice in your life is your voice, you are in trouble. We need spiritual authority. Young people, you need the voice of your parents. Believers, we need spiritual authority. We need pastors and elders and leaders that are speaking truth into our lives. Look at 2 Samuel 12. Then Nathan, who had just told a little parable to David about a rich man and a poor man and one little sheep and how the rich man took the poor man's sheep. And David said, that man should pay And Nathan said to David, verse 7, you are that man. You are that man. David, you're you're that man. Think about how deceived David was. David had had an affair, got Bathsheba pregnant, had Uriah killed, and now took Bathsheba as his wife, and they had just were about to have a child. And now Nathan tells David about a rich man who takes a poor man's one little sheep that he loved with all of his heart and he took it and took it away from him. And David was so deceived he couldn't even see he was talking about him. You would think as he started telling the story, David was like, I see where this is going. <laughs> he didn't see it. He had so lost focus on what was true that he couldn't even see himself in what was an obvious illustration of his own sin and rebellion. And then Nathan says, David, you're the man. You're the man. Look, look at the next verse. He says, you are the man for the Lord God of Israel said, I anointed you as king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. And I gave you your master's house, look at this, and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And I love this next part. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Wow. Let me tell you what God is not. He is not stingy. He is not greedy and he is not selfish. He told David, David, if what you had wasn't enough, I mean, you're the king, (laughs) You're living in the king's palace. you got access to anything and everything you want. And if that wasn't enough, I'd have gave you much, much more. But instead of doing it my way, God said you had to try to do it your way. You had to take what wasn't yours. When I would have given you more. Let me say that again to you, what I said earlier. That thing that you think is going to make you happy becomes the thing the devil uses to destroy your life. And here's the good news of the gospel. If you'll do it God's way, Pastor Gene said it, the blessing of the Lord maketh one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Wow. God will give you much, much more (laughs) if you'll do it. God's way. The scripture goes on. He says, Why then, verse 9, have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? You have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Amorites and stolen his wife. Look at verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. If you read the rest of the story, you find out there were repercussions to his sin. But there was forgiveness and grace for David. 
I want you to hear me today. We need spiritual authority in our lives. We need people that see what we don't see, that hear what we don't hear, that know what we don't know, that have gone where we have not yet gone to speak into our lives. And one of the biggest challenges I see in our modern, independent, self-sufficient culture is that we don't want anybody telling us how to live our lives. Not only is that foolish, it is unbiblical. Listen to what the Bible says about wise counsel. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. How many know when it's your idea, it's always a great idea? I mean, let's just be honest. Well, another leadership quote I love, a guy said this. He said, everybody loves change when it's their idea. And nobody loves change when it's not their idea. Look what Hebrews 13 says, verse 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Look at this. Their work is to watch over your souls. And that next part is really sobering. And they are accountable to God. Their job is to watch over your souls. And at the end of the day, they're accountable to God for whether they warned you, as to whether they trained you, as to whether they instructed you in the way of the Lord. So, all sin can maybe be traced to a broken or a distorted focus. So I want to ask you a question today. Pastor Nolan, if you want to come. How's your focus? How's your focus? Have you recognized that you've been distracted? Have you recognized that you've kind of just made a small shift? And here, here's the challenge today. Maybe you've made a small shift not in your life, but in your heart. Maybe you really hadn't even changed directions yet, but you've set your affections on some things that you know don't please God. And let me tell you where you're at right now. You're in a place of grace where you can turn your heart back to the Lord. Before you make choices and decisions that end up bringing devastation into your life. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to allow that temptation to turn your heart and then change the trajectory of your life. I want to ask you today, how focused are you in the sense of what kind of priority does consistent prayer have in your life? What kind of priority does the daily study of God's Word have in your life? And what kind of priority is true submission is there actually anybody that can truly speak into your life? Are you that open? Are you that submitted that you can give somebody permission? I'm not talking about anybody. I'm not talking about posting your stuff on social media and getting the best advice you can get from a world that is so confused. I'm talking about trusted men and women of God in the house of God 
who have loved you and served you and ministered to you, many of them for years, are you really submitted to their counsel? Are you really open to their instruction? Are you really ready to receive what they have to say? And let me just be real clear. I'm not saying that spiritual authority is always right. <laughs> but spiritual authority always should be listened to. Sometimes as the pastor, I get asked some hard questions. I give people the best advice according to the word of God that I know to give them. But sometimes I hadn't seen everything. And sometimes there's another element that maybe I don't know that they know that helps them make a good decision. But this is what I know without submission to spiritual authority. You're easily deceived. Without daily study of the word of God, it gets dark real quick. And without consistent prayer, man, all of a sudden where there was clarity, now there's confusion. Isn't it amazing how you can talk to people? At one time, they were so clear on what was right. And then you can talk to them six months later, a year later, or maybe you hadn't seen them in a few years, and they've done swung the pendulum the whole other direction. And now they're running just as hard after what we all know to be a lie and deception as they were running after truth. You know why? Somewhere they lost focus. They stopped praying, they stopped studying, and they stopped submitting to authority. Let me just tell you something. You're in a great place. You're in a great place. This is a place of prayer. This is a place of the Word. And this is a place where there's godly authority, people that love you and will and have laid down their life for you. And that's a beautiful thing. Amen. So I want us just to bow our heads for a moment. And I want to ask you, is there a thing in your life that the Holy Spirit's pointed out? Is there a thing that maybe has turned your heart is there a thing that's pulled your direction in the wrong direction and you know that you know that you know the Holy Spirit put His finger on it this morning? That's not to condemn you. That's not to judge you. That's not even to make you feel bad. That's to open your eyes to truth and bring clarity to confusion. Because once you know the truth, you can now respond to the truth. So maybe right now you just need to turn your heart back to the Lord. So, Father, right now we confess that thing. We confess it. We confess that something has stolen the affection of our heart, that something has turned our heart away from you. And, Lord, we confess it as sin. Lord, anything that takes precedence over you becomes sin. Anything that begins to direct our lives over you becomes sin. And so, Lord, we confess that thing. And we ask you to forgive us and cleanse us right now. According to your word, if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And Lord, today we, we commit ourselves to prayer, to daily study of the word, and to the spiritual authority of this house. And Lord, we thank you that you, God, in your mercy, have given us tools and resources to keep us focused on what matters most. And we ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you again for listening to Church of Life's teaching of the week. We invite you to join us for the Sunday morning worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. or learn more at churchalive.net.